Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Robert Long with Sports Radio 610, Sean Bajani. And joining us today is USA Today, Texans Wire's John Crumpler back with us. Great to catch up with you again, John. And I'm wondering what has grabbed your attention so far about Texans camp. Robert, Sean, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, excited to talk another season of Texans football with you guys. And, you know, I, I think that every discussion about the Houston Texans kind of has to start with the quarterback competition. I think we're coming off a season where Davis Mills led the NFL with 15 interceptions. You go in with the number two overall pick in the draft and you take C.J. Stroud. And D'Amico Ryan's true to his word that this is a team that's going to be founded competition, one of really his defining traits in that swarm mindset. And that's even playing out in the quarterback competition. And there are people like myself kind of watching this that, you know, if it's similar right now in terms of talent, at what point do you say, all right, we're going to commit and try to see what kind of upside we have given Stroud more reps. And Sean, I'd like to turn this to you. You've actually been there at camp. What have you seen from the quarterback competition? And what do you think the staff is getting at letting this play out? First of all, I, I do think it's a real competition in terms of, you know, what they're what they're telling that quarterback room. First and foremost, the reason why I say that is no matter where CJ Stroud has been at any stage of his football career, mind you, you know, high school, college, and now six practice days into his first NFL camp, it's that he's always had to go out and get it. Nothing's ever been given to him from just a three-star recruit coming out of high school to beating three different dudes out at Ohio State to get QB1 uh, to now. Look, Bryce Young was named uh, starter already in Carolina. The main difference outside of where they were drafted between Carolina and, and Houston, in my mind, is that there's an incumbent here, and one doesn't exist in Carolina. You know, they went from Baker Mayfield to P.J. Walker last year, and right now Andy Dalton is his quote-unquote backup in Carolina. And he's the number one overall draft pick. And he was the consensus, you know, for a long time. Uh, so I think his situation is different. And C.J. Stroud summed it up pretty succinctly in basically those words. He said, hey, his situation is his situation, and mine is mine. I think it's important for the Texans to – treat this in that quarterback room not just from a media perspective as this is a quarterback competition because it's familiar territory to cj stroud and what i've noticed you know through uh five days of training camp practices is I mean, i'll put it this way if i told you uh hey who do you think the starting quarterback is and you were a complete novice you didn't know anything about these guys you didn't know anything about these the situation of this team through the first two days you would have said oh Number seven is your starting quarterback, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, it's looked a little bit more even, mainly because since day two of training camp, CJ's really struggled in what I'll deem as like limited opportunities. Like he only threw 10 balls in team period today. He was five for 10, threw a couple of interceptions, one to Derek Stingley Jr. And that no, 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 yes moment because it was Derek Stingley, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was cool. Blake Cashman had his second interception. He's now picked off uh, uh, Davis Both Mills and. Yeah, he's yeah. picked off Davis Mills and C.J. Stroud now. So maybe start looking at him a little bit more as a serious candidate for a backup linebacker position instead of a special teams ace. He's looked really good, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, I just think it's been more about C.J. Stroud struggling, making certain decisions that maybe a guy like Case Keenum wouldn't make. He knows this offense like the back of his hand. Case has looked probably the most steady since day one, which I would expect. 
whereas Davis and CJ are kind of in the same boat. They're both learning a new offense. And for, for Davis, what, this is like his third, fourth different offense in as many seasons. So we talk about that all the time and excuse that away for a number of other quarterbacks and various systems every year across the league. It's no different for Davis this year. So it's early. I just think it's a competition for CJ really at, when it boils down to, to himself. The Texans want him to win the job. The players, the locker room, want him to win the job. And I think they fully anticipate him doing so. I was just going to follow up and you say, you know, and I'm sure y'all have seen this as well. I see this on Twitter. Fans are like, well, it's not a real competition. And my my rebuttal is it is a real competition right now. You just said CJ threw 10 passes today. That's not ideal for Davis. That's not ideal for CJ. But they are really letting both of these guys, like, go figure it out. And they're having the same opportunities right now. I think it is a question of, you know, when can Stroud get a hold of this offense? That's really, this is a, a big change from Ohio State. And the staff might value Davis Mills having a, a bit quicker decision-making, a little more better timing of how he's going to look at these things in an offense that's predicated off of, hey, you know, I, whether it's you, Davis, or whether it's you, CJ, we think that Damian Pierce is going to be the engine of this thing right now to start the season. So I, I do think it's a real competition and they're just waiting for someone to kind of take it, but still super interesting when you've got a, a number two pick on the sideline that we know uh, week two of the first home game at NRG fans are going to be clamoring to see number seven in the game. I, I just, I want, I wanted to throw these nuggets out there for you because I think context is important. I think historical data is important, is interesting to a certain degree, especially this. I did this research a while back, and you just you guys tell me what you think about it. Since the first common draft in 1967, there have been 128 quarterbacks taken in the first round. Only 37 out of those 128 quarterbacks started week one for those respective teams. That's less than 30%. So let's bring it back to more present day, right? Because I went back to 1967. In the last six drafts, 21 quarterbacks, and that's obviously excluding this past one because we don't know yet, but in the last six drafts, 21 quarterbacks have been taken in the first round. Only six out of the 21 were named week one starters. Remember who was named the week one starter? And he beat the Dallas Cowboys in the first game of Texans history, baby, David Carr. There you go. That goes back, you know, further than six drafts, but you know, from a historical perspective, I think that's interesting. And that, that doesn't necessarily say anything about the rookie quarterback in that year. But in terms of being ready after OTAs, a mini camp, and a full training camp and preseason, 80% of the time, if that quarterback didn't start week one, they started games later in the season. There's somewhere in the middle here lies what's going to happen with C.J. Stroud, in my opinion. I mean, long gone are the days of guys like Aaron Rodgers sitting for three years behind a Brett Favre or, or something like that, you know, and we'd seen a number of those years past. C.J.'s in a competition ultimately with himself. They believe that he's their future. You don't take a guy number two overall if you don't, but they want him to be ready for week one against Baltimore. But at the end of the day, they have to make the best decision for the team. What I don't think is going to happen is a Tom Savage, Deshaun Watson situation from a handful of years ago where Savage is a dude for half and throws three picks. And then here comes Deshaun Watson and the rest is history type of thing. But I do think it's important to, to recognize history and just what is the demand versus realistic for a rookie quarterback coming into the NFL, trying to learn an NFL offense. 
one of the things that I thought was interesting because, you know, Sean, me, maybe even you, John, we're, we're subjective a little bit with the Texans. We want the team to be better. We're hoping we look at this with an eye of, hey, hey, maybe there's something. Look at that play. Look at this play. But I saw that former Texans reporter for CSN Houston, James Palmer, was in Houston with NFL Network this weekend. And I was interested in his takes uh, since he bounces around the NFL. He's seen quite a few versions of the Texans over the years. So he knows the area. He knows the 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 ground and what, what's been going on here. And he said, among other things, that Stroud carries himself like a vet. His maturity stands out. He also said Will Anderson was beyond advertised. And you can feel the change created by D'Amico Ryans. This is somebody that goes back to the days of Gary Kubiak and Bill O'Brien, James Palmer does. It's pretty remarkable, he said, about D'Amico and the change that's happened there, quote, unquote. John, it, that makes me feel a little bit more positive that, you know, this is just not our imagination. This just isn't Houston reporters going, hey, it looks better than David Cully. It looks better than uh, Lovey Smith. Oh, my God, we might win three or four games. You know, that, that tells me something mm-hmm. when Chase Palmer says it. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not at camp. I can't speak to the energy of D'Amico Ryans. I'll let Sean talk about that. But just from even if we're taking this from a, a national perspective, yes, the bar was the floor. But even in the scope of the league, Houston right now is a believable football operation. You have a head coach who was the AP assistant coach of the year coming into a defense that has added a ton of quality free agents, has some really strong young players in Will Anderson, Derek Stingley, Jalen Petrie, Christian Harris. You have an often you have the most expensive offensive line in football to protect a rookie quarterback and two rushers who ran for over 800 yards last season. They, they have the components of a team that is going to win games this season. And it's not, you know, you're, you're not even having to stretch it that far to see a believable path where how does Houston get to 500? The, the pieces are there. The pieces are, okay, if D'Amico continues to be the defensive play caller and defensive organizer that we think he is, if the secondary plays the talent that they have and the offense isn't a disaster under Bobby Slowick, hey, that's a team that's going to be really hard to beat week in and week out. So forget the, just the energy aspect. It's just even on paper you read it and you say, hey, that's a real NFL franchise. That is a, that's a tough out for any team in the league this season. I think really good points. And look, the energy is real. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, look, without fans, the Texans had a first couple of days of practice. I think it was Wednesday and Thursday. They let fans in on Friday and Sunday as well. The energy is just at a different level. And what I thought was most interesting about that is, look, day one, D'Amico Ryan said, I think it was unprompted. I didn't think he was asked about it. But, hey, look, the offense didn't come out as sharp as he anticipated and would have liked to have seen. But day two, they made a giant leap. They were more on schedule. Uh, they didn't let the heat get to them. They weren't as sluggish later in practice. And so, look, that's a building block. You improved from day one to day two. Today, uh, there were a lot of flags, you know, during team periods. Uh, referees are usually always out there, certainly uh, early on in camp and throughout the regular season during practice days. That's maybe a little concerning to some people that, you know, after five practices now, uh, but really the first full day in full pads, I'll say that you're maybe a little concerned. You don't want to see so many flags because as a coach, it's nauseating. It's frustrating. It stops plays, it stops momentum. Uh, it, it maybe hinders what you wanted to see develop in in a certain 
play within a team period. But D'Amico Ryans after practice today said, hey, look, I thought it was another good day. Yeah, the referees are out there, but it's beneficial to us because we're able to go back and look on film and say, okay, hey, this is what we did here. This is what was wrong. Maybe something pre-snap, maybe a hold here, and we can go out and fix that. So he likes the fact that they're there emphasizing certain things Hmm. and basically holding them accountable to where they can fix what they're doing wrong on the next day. I think that's the most important thing about going into practice tomorrow is let's see another improvement because the defense right now is 5-0 and against the offense if you graded it out. And I, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all, rookie quarterback or not, regardless of what you think about the receiving core, uh, the lack of talent there. To me, it all comes down to, hey, this is an entirely new offense, a lot of new coaches, and really at the end of the day, and I agree with everything that you said in terms of what they've done personnel-wise, to me, without having looked in depth at every other team in the in the league, the Texans, at least on paper, have to be one of the most improved teams from where they were to where they are right now. And that's conducive to winning football. Now you've got to actually go out and execute and stack good days on top of other good days. Well, they've got to nip this in the bud because they had a bad day today offensively. So let's see how they come out tomorrow. Something that I do feel a little reassured with, Sean, I'm sure you'll remember this from camp last year. You go out and watch them. And it did feel like the defense won almost every single practice, even last year with Lovey Smith's defense. But this year, I do think the energy is a little different when you look at how expensive some of these pieces are on that defense, just how much talent is there. When you think about, okay, this is a D'Amico Ryan's football team. You, when you made that hire, you put in, this is going to be a defensive led football team. And, you know, you look at the quality of, okay, this secondary is supposed to be better than these receivers. You've got young quarterbacks. And so last year, you know, I looked back and I, I would write it off. I was like, it's fine. Davis is checking it down. And we found out, okay, this isn't a great defense. And they were struggling against a not great defense. But this year, I think that could be a really good defense. And it's a really young offense right now. If a young offensive play caller and a bunch of guys coming new into the system. So I, I do hope they start to stack days. But for now, man, I'd be worried if uh, if that secondary wasn't taking care of business against a rookie quarterback in Davis Mills. It's a good point. It's a good point. One of the things, uh, Sean, I heard that was going on is C.J. Stroud is carpooling or going to practice every day with Jalen Petrie and really drilling him on what's going on and asking him questions about, you know, all all the things that you would want to know as a quarterback. It says a lot about both guys, I think, that he's really trying to get out every bit of information out of Jalen Petrie as far as you know, X's and O's and stuff like that. And that it says a lot about Petrie that CJ Stroud's asking him close questions as a second year player. Yeah, uh, it's absolutely true. And these are types of stories that when you hear it each and every year in camp throughout the, you know, entire league, it's, it's interesting to a lot of people, but if it's not happening, you have a problem. <laughs> what I think is interesting and really kind of more conducive to having uh, the opportunity to have those types of conversations from an offensive and a defensive standpoint, getting those two sides talking about football, different perspectives, what they're looking for, is how D'Amico Ryans is setting up the locker room this year. You know, I talked to Clint Sterner about this earlier today. We did a show together, and he actually brought it up where it's like, hey, this is happening. You know, here's how the locker room is going to be. Everybody's intermingled. There's no defensive side of the locker room and offensive side, and your special team guys are over here. Your corners are all over here. Your 
defensive lines all over here. No, everybody's intermingled. I've never seen anything like that before. And I've been covering this team since 2006, uh, going all the way back to the Gary Kubiak days. And it's always been very separated. Defense is one way. Your offense is one way. I think that's very interesting. From a D'Amico Ryan standpoint, I don't know how they did it in San Francisco. I'd like to ask him about that uh, tomorrow, if, if, if possible. Just James Palmer said that, that he's never seen a lot of the drills that they're doing out there. He said, this is, I watch, I go all around yeah. the league and I don't, I've never seen these drills before. Uh, you know, somebody made mention uh, earlier today, like uh, I think it was John Lopez talking about it. So he was out there observing practice. Like, man, you got uh, Dino Vasso throwing cones up the DBs, like during ball drills, like just trying to distract them. It's like, I've never seen that before. And it's like, well, that's a Dino Vasso thing. Cause I saw it every practice uh, pretty much last year. Like that's, Every every coach has their kind of thing that they're trying to to use uh, to make their guys better, and that's just one of his things. And they have a lot of fun with it, and his guys do very well with it. I mean, it's not something you can do away do with everybody, but the foundation of this defense. Um, you talk about the veteran leadership that you've got back there now with Jimmy Ward, but a second year player in Jalen Petrie, who is you can see it, you can hear it, you can feel it with his presence at the podium and just talking with them. The guy's at a different level, and his confidence is through the roof. But you can tell, for having conversations like that with a guy like C.J. Stroud on the other side of the ball, and with a guy that comes out of the meeting room with Bobby Slowick, as bright of a mind as he is from a football sense, this guy is just eating, drinking, sleeping, breathing football 24-7. You can hear it emanate from him. And I, I just think that's conducive and that's contagious around the entire team at this point in time. And if it's not happening again, I think you have a problem. But you talk about culture, it's a really good start to developing a competitive, knowledgeable, hungry culture uh, at NRG. Yeah, one of the things, John, that I, I think about when I hear a lot of what's going on at Texans practices, we're seeing, you know, defense having to, adjust to Bobby Slowick and the offense having to adjust to D'Amico Ryans in the last three or four or five years, you're like, well, one side of the ball always seemed to be way ahead of the other side of the ball at it. Now it seems like we have two bright minds on both sides of the ball. And how much does that help each side when you've got two good sides that are having to work against each other right now Instead of you're not seeing this until they actually play some preseason games or regular season games. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's refreshing. And I mean, this is Houston's third offensive coordinator in as many years. Obviously, Pep Hamilton came with some fanfare last year, Tim Kelly the year before that. And actually, this might be the fourth offensive coordinator in four years. But regardless, I, I do think this is a very believable scheme. And the difference between this and the previous two seasons is that. Bobby Slowick comes from the best offensive tree in football. He comes from Kyle Shanahan, who's, I mean, we just watched Shanahan uh, kind of cut up the whole league with a undrafted rookie quarterback. Um, this is a system that's worked pretty much everywhere that it's gone. It has its origins here in Houston under Gary Kubiak. Uh, if anyone's listening and did not watch The Play Callers, it was one of the athletic show. I'd highly recommend it, and they kind of talk about the history of this offensive system. And something that I love that they talk about is pretty much after the San, the Rams Super Bowl loss that these offensive coaches started hunting coordinators who understood their offense and how to stop it. And I think in the same way, they, they kind of force each other to grow. And I think that Bobby Sloak and D'Amico Ryan's in the same way that Brandon Staley and Sean McVay forced each other's schemes to grow, that they're going to be able to bounce ideas off of each other 
and kind of stay a step ahead with the league is D'Amico Ryans is, I mean, one of the best defensive play callers in the NFL right now, schematically just very advanced of what he's doing, getting ahead of some of these offensive trends. And I think Slowick has as good of an idea as, as any of the young play callers for the kind of schemes and philosophies that are working in football today. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. And more than it's a, it is a quarterback friendly system. It is a player friendly system. They're not, it's not too complicated. It's really simple for their guys, but you window dress this picture that makes things so hard for the defense. And I'm just excited to see what that looks like um, after a, a few years of less pre-snap motion than I think a lot of people in Houston would like to see. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said, like a lot of little interesting nuggets. And I, I, I'm going to see if I can kind of go here. Sorry, I, I know I, I kind of rambled there a little no, bit. No, no. I, I think having both of them together, like that does create an environment that they can help each other. It, I, I totally agree. And I was going to ask you this question because, you know, look, Bobby Slowick's had a, a, an interesting path, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he started like on the defensive side of the ball. And then With Washington. Moved, yeah, moved to the offensive side of the ball, spent a couple of years of pro football focus. So he's yeah. he's had the opportunity to like view this game and particularly this offense from various different angles, right, perspectives. And, you know, we were just talking about how the defense in camp so far, and I feel like it's probably this way in a lot of camps in general, where the defense just comes out ahead of the offense a little bit. But I wonder if that's maybe more – if it's because D'Amico has spent a lot of years preparing in practice to face this type of an offense. Yeah. And you've got a lot of young guys that – you know, they might be familiar with this offense, but some not at all, particularly your quarterback that you want to be your dude this year. So I just wonder if 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 that's kind of like should make us feel a little bit more comfortable, like ease the concern a little bit in terms of what we're seeing from this team offensively and whether or not like that has any merit at this mm -hmm. point in time. Yeah. And I haven't thought about this. So this is me and all my thoughts here kind of workshopping live, but uh, you know, we're not at a point yet where they're going to be you – know, it's not like D'Amico's uh, defense is game planning for what they think Slope would bring out. But this is a, a defense that evolved to stop very similar offenses to what Slowick is trying to do. You know, they – for years, like, they had to beat the Rams to advance – um, they had the Packers, obviously, under Matt LaFleur, schematically very similar, that same Shanahan tree. This is a, a defensive scheme that D'Amico evolved kind of facing this tree. So I don't think it's a surprising thing that it probably does have a lot. Well, one, I think there's more talent on the defense for in Houston right now. But two, I think the core tenets of this scheme come from, hey, that what Bobby Sloak is doing is the most popular kind of offensive scheme in the National Football League right now. And I think a lot of its core elements are designed to go ahead and stop that. So maybe maybe it should give us some comfort that things are struggling for the offense. But also, I would like to hope that that's, um, you know, given Bobby Sloak ideas after practice of, okay, is this play the way that I've drawn it up? Are defenders responding this live the way that we anticipate? Because a lot of the scheme is kind of, kind of pulling people into position, one play sequences on the next, how do guys react so it, it it is really cool to have both of them together and to be on the front lines of um, kind of the NFL schematic revolution to where teams are right now across the league. Robert, you'll you'll remember this just real quick. One more nugget on you remember when we had Case Keenum on earlier this offseason? Oh yeah, and 
he was talking about the Slovak offense. And at that point in time, he had yet to even meet, I think, C.J. Stroud, much less, you know, uh, uh, practice with him. But he was talking about this Slovak offense from this, this, this Shanahan tree, kind of describing it as versatile. He described it as multiple. And what you said, John, and we've heard it numerous times already this past week, quarterback friendly, tight end friendly, running back friendly. Player friendly. Like, Player friendly. What does all that mean? And at the same time, you've got guys like Robert Woods, who's in his 11th year, say, and Dalton Schultz, who's a veteran in this league. Boy, the, the playbook is just so vast. The volume of plays that you could just take off of just one basic set, change the depth of a route here, uh, change the, the cadence, the pre-snap motion, whatever the case may be. They are learning all of these things. And I, I think with so much going on, that's really kind of the hurdle. Maybe not, you know, the offense and its design on the surface, but the multiple different ways you can execute a play or a route concept. Yeah, Case Keenum also said it, it was not exactly or even he wouldn't even relate it all the way to Gary Kubiak's offense, even though it's yeah. from the same tree, I guess you would say. And Sean, I, I got a quick question for you because your colleague over at 610, John McClain, was very impressed or has been very impressed with Noah Brown, the wide receiver. Xavier Hutchinson appears to be making a few plays and turn a few heads. What have you seen from those two guys, especially we, we start zeroing in on them where we lost another guy like Amari Rogers who mutually parted away with the Texans. So we've gone from a huge receiver room down to at least one fewer in 12. But what do those two guys look like? Uh, well, um, I've seen a lot more of Noah Brown. It was like an exclusive Noah Brown day last Friday. Uh, the guy was getting a lot of reps, a lot of targets. Um would have had opportunity to make some more plays if it wasn't for guys like Derek Stingley and Jalen Petrie. Uh, they yeah. actually uh, were in on a double coverage play. It was a deep corner route, and uh, Stingley broke up the pass, and Petrie was quick behind and came over there and shouted at Noah Brown, no, sir, not on us, not on us. And you've heard and saw a lot of that so far, but it, that's truly best on best. But Noah Brown has looked very, very good, and it's got me to the point where – He's been so consistent. D'Amico Ryan's even mentioned as much last week, talking about his practice habits and performance uh, in camp thus far. The guy's just Mr. Consistent. You know, goes out, runs great routes, uh, which, you know, look, he's been complimentary of uh, the receiving core in general in terms of their route running ability. Uh, John Mechie, Nico Collins, they've all been working very closely together on just perfecting some of the intricacies of route running. But um, Xavier Hutchinson, I haven't seen as much of him. He's popped up a little bit more in the last couple of days, has gotten some reps out there. Maybe he hasn't gotten the targets that, uh, um, you know, I'd like to see a young player like that get. I will say this. I feel a hell of a lot better about the Texans receiving room now that Amari Rogers, um, you know, kind of incited this mutual decision, so to speak, of his uh, being waived. Because this is a guy who's been around. He's been successful in this league. Picked up last year off of waivers by the Texans and came in and made an immediate impact in that receiver room last season. And I thought before the draft, we thought, hey, this guy's got an opportunity to do some things. But 
where's the ball going to go? I think he saw the writing on the wall, like, hey, I'm not going to get much run here. I need to go someplace where I can contribute. And that made me feel good about the receiving room because it tells me that they've got trust in guys like Nico Collins, Tank Dell, Xavier Hutchinson, Robert Woods, um, God, who's uh, John Mechie. I think that's your receiver room right there. I mean, NFL rosters typically keep, keep six receivers. There's your six right there. There wasn't any room for them. Uh, so now you start to whittle that receiver room down a little bit. They still have like 12 on the depth chart, I think. But uh, we're going to start to see like I think a little bit more of what guys like Xavier Hutchinson can mean in this receiver room because it is about depth. You could feel really good about this team, the veteran additions, the guys that you drafted. We can make things make sense on paper, but all it takes is one snap. A guy goes down. How good is this team's depth? at those key positions. We're going to find that out over the next few weeks of practice in the preseason. Hey, everybody watching and listening, just want to remind you guys that we're going to do an Astros trade deadline show tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. The trade deadline, of course, on Tuesday at five o'clock. Uh, John, what's going on with you over at USA Today? What are you working on? What angles are you thinking about? You Can you preview anything that you're, you're going to be uh, coming out with? Yeah, so um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm uh, John Crumpler, lead analyst at uh, the Texans Wire. You can read all my work at texanswire.usatoday.com. Uh, Robert, right now I'm, I'm kind of waiting before I take any strong stances on anything. I think it's hard to make big observations before the pads come on. Obviously, this was day one. I, I am critical of the quarterback competition. I don't think – I know Sean referred to him as a an incumbent, but I don't think that Davis Mills in a new offense is any more of an incumbent than – Andy Dalton in a, a new Carolina offense that he's never played at. I, I'm kind of uh, struggling to see how that comes together. You know, the more reports out of practice, especially while they sound the same. And, you know, I'm wondering, okay, if, if both of these guys look similar and you're not getting a real edge with Davis Mills, what what's the hold up here? I thought about writing on that, but for now I'm, I'm holding my tongue. Um, only other thing right now that I've, I am starting out with the Texans wires, we're bringing back the Texans wire podcast. I'm doing that with Patrick storm. So anyone wants to check that out um, at another Texans podcast. But otherwise, I'm really just excited for this first preseason game on Thursday and to see, like Sean was talking about, who from this receiver group can emerge, who, um, how, just how good can the offensive line look. A lot of things that uh, could, are going to look a lot more clear once we have live football. Yeah, Patrick Storm does a fantastic job as well. So go check out their show for sure. Uh, keep up with all the Texans. With John, with Sean on at Sean Bajani. He's Sports Radio 610. I'm going to try to get him out of the studio that he's been stuck in for the last several hours and let him go home to see his wife. But hey, thanks to both of you guys. And uh, John, always great to have you on the show. Thanks a bunch. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks, guys. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.